0: men. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the King today. And I'm going to ask if you would turn with me to Genesis 27. We're continuing our series here, an eight-week overview of the book of Genesis. And uh, we've been working through some of those different characters that come up here in Genesis, the book of beginnings. And if, if you uh, need a reminder there in the bottom of your sermon notes, there's those eight words that give us a, an outline that you can kind of be thinking of as we 're working through genesis, so we 've gone through creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, and Isaac, and today we 're on Jacob, and then the final word is Joseph next week. Some of these key characters that have been um, not just hearing second hand of the promises of god 's blessing and his work, but hearing firsthand as we 'll see today, so you know when we looked at Abraham, we heard the encounter that he had with God in chapter 12 and repeated again in subsequent chapters as he appeared to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm choosing you to be the recipient and the conduit of my blessing. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That blessing is going to come in two big categories, a blessing of lots of descendants like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the heaven, and the second category, the blessing of land. There's a promised land from which you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. They will will receive the blessing as you are my faithful people, as you're the father of a nation. And now God appears to... Each subsequent generation and reaffirms that promise. They're not, you know, here in the story you're going to hear Isaac has, has received and heard the promises of God. Uh, but that's going to be reaffirmed here in, in chapter 26. We'll get a glimpse of that. Where it's not just that he heard from dad, oh, by the way, son, you know, I met with God back in chapter 12. And he told me some things and I'm here to convey that to you. But there's a first-hand encounter that Isaac has with God as well, as God. It's really not just the Abrahamic covenant. it's also the Isaac covenant with God. And it's the Jacob covenant with God. And I think the takeaway for, for you and I today, especially the younger generation, you know, it's not just because Mom and Dad drag you to church. It's not just because you grew up in a Christian home, but there's a personal encounter with the living God. There's his promises to you. There's his blessings for you. There's his covenant established with you personally. He's a personal God. He's a covenant-making God, and he deals with groups of people, but he also is a personal God that knows your name. He wants you to experience that face-to-face encounter with him. And that's my prayer and hope for you today. So we're going to hear about one, one excerpt from the life of Jacob. There's a lot we could say about Jacob, his name, Um, you know I actually have his name as my middle name so you know he and I I I got some affinity with this dude here although when I'm looking at the meaning of his name I'm not quite so sure about it Um, so it's taken from something uh, that that has to do with him as as a twin in the womb when his older brother Esau is born and the mom and dad look at him they're like what is this thing it is covered with red hair fur practically And so they're like, well, call it Esau. It means like really hairy baby, red hairy baby, you know. And just after him, there's another baby coming out that's hanging on to his big brother's heel. And so his name, Jacob, has to do with grasping the heel, which has a double meaning of deceiver, liar, manipulator. Like, great, thanks, mom and dad, appreciate that. And so there's some rivalry right at birth between these two and we'll get into that story a little bit Um, but we could look later in Jacob's life as he himself experiences some deception he goes to Laban's home uh, to work for him and and falls in love with the younger daughter Rachel says I'd like to marry your daughter and Laban says fine Um, I'd like you to work for me for seven years first all right sounds good and so he does that and at the end of seven years, he you know, basically earns this bride. But the next morning after the wedding festivities, it must not have been a lot of good you know, indoor lighting at that time or something, he wakes up to find that instead of Rachel beside him in the tent, it's the older sister Leah. And then the dad says, well guess what, this week we're running a two-for-one special And so you get not only the younger daughter, Rachel, but also a bonus of Leah. And so um, you just have to work another seven years now. So he himself has some deception, which is similar to what we're going to see him and his mom enacting on their father in the story we're going to read today in chapter 27. Uh, A little context before we get into that. Let's look at chapter 25. Um, you, You can focus in on verses 22 and 23 there. Uh, this is around the time of the birth of Jacob and uh, his brother Esau. Some of the context here, chapter 25, we find that Isaac is 40 years old when he marries Rebekah. Um, so a, a little, little later into life, and 20 years into their marriage, she is still barren. And so we, we read there that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Guys, I think that'd be a good boy, a verse for you to take home and put into practice in this context, it was because of her barrenness, and so she's he is lifting his wife before the Lord, praying that God would would bless her, that he would grant her a child, big part of the ancient near Eastern world a big a big uh, measure of god 's blessing in that worldview and so this is his prayer, and it says, the Lord granted his prayer and she conceived and then um, now as as it's coming time for uh, the babies to, you know, be born, there's a, there's a little bit more turmoil going on inside her womb than is typical. In fact, there's some pain being caused for her, and it says in verse 22, the children struggled within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Maybe every expectant mother has some days of feeling that way, but this is, this is an unusual amount of, of movement inside her womb likely causing some pain, some discomfort, causing her to express this this inquiry before the Lord. And here's what the Lord responds to her in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger." That's important context to know as we go to chapter 27 because there's some confusing things that happen in chapter 27. But just know that um, while the children were still within her womb, not, it wasn't just the men that are having face-to-face encounters with God and having promises spoken and affirmed and giving, getting a glimpse of what God's purposes and plans and his kingdom-glorious uh, big-picture plan is. Also, Rebecca. Is having an encounter with the living God, and she's hearing God give some promises of blessing on the younger son. So she hear right here at the very end of what the Lord speaks to her, the older shall serve the younger. That's gonna that's gonna be key to understanding some of chapter twenty-seven. So as as we uh, get a glimpse into the early years of these young men, um, again, you know, we we've. We see there in, chap- in chapter 25, verse 27, that as the, you know, I already summarized the, the part of the story where as they're born, one of them is covered with red hair, the older brother Esau, the younger one's grasping the heel. But look at verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Okay, so you got two very different kinds of guys, wired differently. You know, we see this, right? This, this is, is the case today. You know, the guys that go out hunting and fishing and they enjoy the outdoors probably grow big bushy beards, whatever. There's those kinds of guys. There's other guys that enjoy uh, being a a quiet man, dwelling in tents, right? Uh, a lot of times those two kinds of guys don't get along with each other super well. And that was the case here. doesn't need to be the case. Uh, it's not that one is better than the other. In fact, the, the parents in this story had an affinity for each of the children. Okay? So the dad, I mean, he liked venison, okay? You know, don't knock him. He's, he's like, you know, this is the boy that goes out and brings home wild game. Man, I have a, a craving for some wild game. I like this son. The other young man, Jacob, likely because he spent more time with his mother. He's a quiet man dwelling in tents, spending more time with her. Also, we know that the one-on-one conversation that she had with God that put Jacob in a special place in her heart. She knew the plans that God had for him, that the older would serve the younger. And she knew this story because she had heard from God himself. And so this is part of their family dynamics. Now, There's an episode here at the end of chapter 25 that that we need to look at as well. I'm going to read this for you. You've probably heard this. But this gives us a, a glimpse into Esau's heart and his priorities, his attitudes toward the blessings of God versus other things that are desirable and good, but less than what God has in store. So in verse 29 it says, Once, when Jacob was cooking stew... Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom sounds like the Hebrew for red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Your birthright, your status as the firstborn. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? I'm starving to death. Jacob said, Swear to me now. I'm serious. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is just the beginning of now in in real fashion, Esau surrendering the blessings, the status as the firstborn son in this culture, the one who would have been the, the recipient of the, of the belongings and the possessions carrying on the family legacy. And instead he's going, I'll take a bowl of stew. I'm really, I'm really hungry right now. Um, man, it, you know it's easy to look at Esau with some disdain, confusion, scorn. Like, seriously? You know, you would take Mom and dad's will and just like blot your name out of that in exchange for some lentil soup? Are you nuts? And yet how often do we take those temporal things, blessings that are good and desirable and grab a hold of that instead of laying hold of the promises of God that have eternal benefit and blessing? And we're tempted to do the very same thing that Esau does when we're looking at those two realities of something we desire Versus something that requires some delayed gratification, some waiting on the Lord, some seeing the big picture of what he's doing. Well, in, verse, or in chapter 26, we see now God making that covenant with Isaac. And let's just read one verse from that, verse 4. I'd encourage you to dig in, check it out, see this conversation that God has. But here's, here's a summary of what's happening in chapter 26. Verse 4, God says to Isaac now, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And I hope you're seeing some echoes of what God had already spoken to Abraham prior to this. Now he's he's got Isaac and he's looking at him and one on one reiterating these same promises not just to your dad but to you as well. Promises of descendants, promises of land, promises of receiving a blessing and being a blessing. So Isaac is is now appropriating those promises for himself. As we get to the end of chapter 26, one more key verse that's showing us some of the family dynamics happening in Jacob's home. Verse 34, it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So the older son is now taking foreign wives. That's a source of bitterness for mom and dad. There's, there's additional family dynamics that are happening here. That comes into play uh, later in, in Jacob's uh, marriage prospects as, as his mom says, No more Hittite wives let's let's have him take away a from among our own people, and that's where he ends up at Laban's home and, and the whole the drama between now he gets two for one, uh, Leah and Rachel um, so so now if you're if you're doing the math if, if the twins were born, when Isaac is sixty, and by this point in the story Esau is forty, dad is a hundred years old. Uh, Isaac is is toward the end of his life, and this is where we pick up in chapter 27. Let's read this story now of Not just the birthright, but also the blessing that is going to pass pass over Esau and go to the younger brother, Jacob, here in this story. So in chapter 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, 'Here, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, Take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. That's my favorite verse in the Bible, right there. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Again, this is a priority in, in Isaac's life. Man, I, I crave some good venison, you know, marinated, roasted, some of that delicious, lean, wild game, or, organic, free-range, vegetarian. You know, the, the the meat only eats vegetables, so it's kind of vegetarian. <laughs> and so, so he's having this conversation with his firstborn son. It's coming to the end of my life. I've lost my eyesight. There's some important things that need to happen before I die. And so I want to eat this Special meal this, this, uh, that I've enjoyed, that's been a part of our bond, our connection. Go out and do some hunting. And so now Rebecca is overhearing this, verse 5. And she was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the lord before I die now therefore my son obey my voice as I command you go to the flock and bring me two good young goats you know i've heard i've heard larry hobbs say that you know antelope tastes like goats so apparently rebecca is is in is in sync with that go get some goats so that i may prepare them Prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Okay, so, so now um, Isaac has a plan. He's sending out the firstborn son to go get some wild game. R- Mom also has a plan. Son, you go get some goats and we're going to make a, a venison tasting dinner for your dad. Jacob's got some uh, hesitation, some concerns here. Verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. You know, uh, Mom, I got some concerns about your plan here. It's just not going to work. Even if the meal is prepared in a way that Dad thinks this is a venison dinner instead of a goat dinner. You know, you got the right spices and herbs and the, and, and, and the meal is prepared just so. There's still the problem of my brother is a hairy dude and I'm a mama's boy. Yeah. I'm exaggerating here. But I'm a smooth man, he's a hairy man. And so his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So the plan is, is, is proceeding and going forward. And mom's saying, I got this. Just do it, do it, do as I'm instructing. Again, you know, you, know, you read this and you're like, man, this is a horrible story. This poor guy, he's, he's towards the end of his life and now his wife is deceiving him and there's all this family drama and intrigue. I think it's important to remember the one-on-one that Rebecca had with the Lord in chapter 25. And she knew the promises of God. She knew the plan that God had for the younger son. And she's really operating in line with what God's desires are in this story. He, he told her the younger will, will, or the, the older will serve the younger, which is out of sync in, in the ancient Near Eastern world. That's not the order. That birth order was a big deal for them. And so she's taking matters into her own hands. She's coming up with a plan. She's giving instructions to her son Jacob. And he's going to carry that out. So in verse 14, he went and took them and brought them to his mother, the two goats. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I'm not sure where that is exactly. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So this is the plan, okay? You're going to be wearing some of Esau's clothing, walking in with the food that your dad has asked for and been expecting, and we're going to hope that the goat hair will do its, its job here in terms of you know, your, uh, covering up your smoothness and making you appear more Esau-like, like a hairy dude. And so, will that work? We'll find out. So he went into his father and said, My father, <clears throat> my father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Yeah, it feels like either goat hair or Esau. (laughs) And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. (laughs) The guy is out in the field a lot, you know. um, Tells you something about how much deodorant he wore or how often he bathed. And he blessed him. So now, now after testing and testing and asking and inquiring and feeling and tasting and smelling, these are the only senses he's got left, right? He's lost his eyesight. And he's come to the place of, of accepting and, and believing that this is the older son, Esau. He's convinced. And now he's about to speak these words of blessing that, that Jacob and Rebekah have been wanting Uh, to be spoken over Jacob. So here's the blessing. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Remember the the heart of God toward these two boys? Which one did God say would serve the other? Which one is Isaac thinking he is proclaiming will serve the other? And so God's purposes are still carried out despite Isaac's intentions. You know, he's had, in his mind, ever since these boys were little, ever since their interests began to develop and emerge, this is my preferred son. He's the one that's a manly man. He's the hunter. He's out in the field. He's bringing me the kind of food I like to eat. I want him to be the recipient of the blessings of God. He hasn't gone to God himself and said, God, what's your plan in my boys' lives? What's the ordering that you would have? Now, Rebecca has that insight. She's had that one on one with God. And she's heard God Himself say, I'm going to bless Jacob, and Esau is going to serve him. And she's been working to achieve and accomplish the purposes of God. And here now, unknowingly, unintentionally, Isaac is still being used to accomplish God's purposes. You know, that should give us some rest and reassurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you should engage in some of the practices we've seen Rebecca and Jacob undertaking here, you know, flat out lying to people's faces. I think there are some issues going on in this home that are going to come back on Jacob as, as we go through his life and look at some of the other stories. Some of that deception and lying and trickery comes back on him and there's some lessons that God does in his heart. And yet the good news is if you are any of these characters, to know that God's Glory is going to be uh, received by him. He is going to be honored. His kingdom work will carry on. Um, similar to the story of Joseph and his brothers. You know, at the end of that story, he, he's the brother who the other brothers gang up on and sell into slavery to the Midianites. And God uses that as a whole chain of circumstances in his life that lead to him being second command in Egypt during a time of famine, and now those same brothers who betrayed him and hurt him and rejected him are now coming to him asking for grain. They don't even know who he is. And when his identity is revealed to them, what does Joseph say as he forgives them? He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And it's really a trust in God's sovereignty. that He's at work, even even despite our... Imperfect decision-making processes, even even through our thinking, we know what's best. Even in acting like Isaac or Rebecca in this story, or Jacob, um, God is still at work, and it should give us confidence and peace in knowing that there is a sovereign God. What does that mean? There is a King on the throne. There is somebody orchestrating the events of our lives and in our world. And so, the best heart posture is not to be conniving, working an angle. Uh, deceiving, lying, the best heart posture is humility, uh, willingness to submit and surrender. Come to him and say, God, I want to know your ways. Show me your ways. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth as, as the psalmist prayed. And looking to him as the one who directs our steps and guides us. There is a blessing that Isaac speaks over his son Jacob. Jacob. And we've seen the words of that blessing. And so Isaac, even though he's unwillingly, unknowingly, and yet he is still fulfilling God's plans that were spoken to Rebekah. As this story goes on, you know, now we're we're going to be reintroduced to Esau and his role in this story. From an American culture perspective, the story is a bit confusing because we're not aware of the power of words like they were in this story. Um, but I, I just want to you know, help, help you kind of focus in on that a bit. We think of words as symbols which carry meaning within context, which is true. But there's a, a deeper, more powerful aspect to words, that words are not just uh, vehicles that carry meaning. Words actually do things. There's some examples um, that that may help drive this home for you. When when the judge says, the jury finds the defendant not guilty. Those are words, but they don't just carry meaning. They actually do things. When a a bride and groom say, I do, and a minister says, I pronounce you, man and wife, uh, those aren't words that just carry meaning. They go beyond that. They actually do things. There are actions connected with those words. You can can read about that. You could get a PhD in speech act theory as an aspect of linguistics, right? The idea that words don't just say things, they also do things. And there's power in words. And I think the lesson for me as I read this story and and that I would encourage you is use your words carefully. Uh, James 3 says this about our tongues. With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And that same mouth that on a wedding day could say, I do. That same mouth that could proclaim, I I, I pronounce you husband and wife, could say things like, I'm so proud of you to a child or you'll never amount to anything. Words do things. And the heart of that passage in James is that out of the same mouth, from that same tongue, would, would come blessings to our Lord and Father and blessings to people who are made in the likeness of God. That's his heart for us. And so we, we bring that to God. We say, God, we can't tame this thing. We can't control it. There's all kinds of other things that we're able to domesticate. But this thing is a wild beast that sets our whole life on fire and brings a lot of pain and destruction. God, we submit it to you. We ask that you would use our words to to bring blessing to you and to others. And here in the story that we've been reading in Genesis 27, Isaac's words both mean something and they did something. They actually passed the blessing to Jacob, the blessing that God had given to Abraham and reaffirmed to Isaac, Now that blessing is actually going to Jacob. And that's important to note because, you know, you read this story and you're thinking, well, when Esau comes in, couldn't couldn't, uh, Isaac just undo what he had said? Well, it wasn't even you? Okay, well, I revoke that thing I just said to Jacob. It was no big deal anyway. And now I say it to you instead. Well, in effect, that would really cheapen the entire blessing, wouldn't it? If there was nothing actually done in the pronouncement of the blessing, then the blessing itself doesn't exist. There's no substance to it. Just like if on, on the day, you know, on the on the Monday after your wedding, if you met your you know, high school girlfriend uh, on your honeymoon with your new wife, and you say, you know, I I know I said I do on Saturday, but I changed my mind, I don't. Right? There, there's a problem there. The words do things, words accomplish things, words have power. Use your words carefully. So now uh, Esau returns, and, and let's finish the story here in verse 30 and following. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Words do things. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, the deceiver, the one who cheats? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I've given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. I see in the the pain and, and agony of Esau now later, in his life after he's despised his birthright, exchanged it for a, bo- a bowl of stew, now he's starting to really understand what the blessing entails. And in that cry of Esau's heart, I hope you find yourself right with him, crying out to the God who gives blessing, bless me. Do you have good things in my, for my life? Is there a plan for me? Is there hope? Is there a future? Are you at work orchestrating the circumstances of my life for my good and for your glory? Don't despise the blessing of God. Don't be confused into thinking that your plans, your desires, your ideas, your dreams, your hopes will ever bring any lasting satisfaction. I'm sure that bowl of stew in Esau's memory didn't taste as good as it did on that day when he came in from the field. Now that he's confronted with the reality of the blessing of God passing to his younger brother instead of to him. And the good news is that we don't live under an old covenant where the blessings of God are restrained to one person, to one lineage, to one set of DNA, to one family. We live under a New Testament, a new covenant in the blood of Christ where the veil is. In the temple has been torn in two, where we are granted access to the Father, where his rich and abundant and overflowing blessings are to you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and each one of us, and every one of our children. And the good thing is that as parents, we don't need to decide which one of these kids am I gonna impart the blessings of God to. We can richly and abundantly give the blessings on the front of your bulletin is a blessing taken from Numbers. The priestly blessing, the the Aaronic blessing, Aaronic, Aaron, the the head of the, the Levites, the priests. This could be a way that you could bless members of your family, members of the body of Christ. This is a prayer, an example from Scripture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord turn his face toward you. And give you peace. And that's a blessing that is not limited or restricted to just one member of your family. Um, Don't give a blessing like Isaac did to one of his sons saying, the rest of your siblings are going to bow down to you. (laughs) And you alone get all the blessings of God. That was a particular blessing for a particular family chosen for a particular purpose of God. And we see the anguish and and agony in Esau as he's realizing the weight of what's happened in his life. And so is there any blessing? What's the answer? Is there any little glimmer of blessing? Well, there is a weak little blessing that Isaac is able to give to Esau in verse 39 and 40. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Wow, it, it doesn't seem quite as rich and robust as the blessing that, that Jacob received. And yet there is some glimmer of hope for Esau. It's the best that Isaac can give to him. Your. Really, the the effect of those words on Esau was not to bring hope. It wasn't to bring, you know, Esau didn't go, okay, good, thank you. That's what I was wanting to receive from you, Dad. Appreciate that. You know, there's not going to be any fat or dew or the blessing of of heaven in your life. You are going to be subject to your brother. You're going to live by the sword. But when you can barely not handle it anymore, you'll break off and live elsewhere, away from his uh, domination of your life. What about the the words that you speak, the words that God has entrusted to you as a conduit for his blessing in the lives of others? You know, there's a lot in the New Testament that talks about how our job as believers is to edify one another. That means to build each other up, right? Right? You know, that doesn't mean always speaking words of, of comfort and hope. Sometimes it means correction and, and rebuke and, and honesty and ways of shaping and helping people to understand what God is doing in a situation and to live to glorify him and honor him. And yet in all of our desires toward one another, it should be to bless one another, to encourage, to, to build up in whatever way God speaks through us into the lives of each other. Ephesians 4, in in context of talking about those gifts that God gives to the body to build up the body, to edify it, gives this caution. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The good news is that God's blessings are limitless, that we have that opportunity to use our tongues and our mouths and our language to not just bless our Lord and Father, but also bless people who are made in the likeness of God. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you two personal stories. One time when I missed this, and another time when I uh, later in life had a chance to do this. Um, I had a, a partner in ministry when we were, when we were working in youth ministry, uh, a young a younger guy or a guy close to my age, but he was working with the junior hires and he felt that God was calling him to go and work in a in a different ministry context and he was seeking my blessing in that and i said, so i don't i don't know if i you know god hasn't spoken to me i don't know i feel awkward about what you're asking because this is the first time hearing of this i i didn't know this was coming i i don't know where you're going i Basically, I withheld my blessing. And he was upset, angry, and rightfully so. You know, later over the, over the years, we came to terms with that, but I, I, it was a lesson that God showed to me and spoke to me that if someone asked for a blessing, why would I withhold that? You know, why not allow God to, to work through me in that situation? As we were leaving that that church and that, and that uh, place where we spent 21 years as a family there in northern Minnesota um, to move here, to be with you guys three years ago. We had a lot of people, especially toward the end, that were like, can we get one more cup of coffee? Can we get one more uh, breakfast or, or dinner or, or time together? Can we just connect with you? Right at the end, of course, and everybody waits until a week before you're, you're getting ready to move and, and, and the world is crazy. And so we did a lot of those kind of last time to get together. And after the first one or two, Heidi and I were talking, and we said, you know, what we needed to say, we didn't say. We got to fix that because um, we're leaving in a week. And that's the last eyeball to eyeball, face to face that we're going to have with that individual or that family for a while. You know, we've found out since then that Minnesota is not out of touch. Like, you know, you can still see people from Minnesota if you live in Colorado. And yet, we, we decided right then that we didn't want to miss the opportunity to speak blessing to people, and so we started doing that. Where um, d- doesn't come natural for some Midwesterners that have been around a lot of Scandinavians and Norwegians, and you kind of, you know, have this attitude of uh, like the like the, the Sven and Ole and, and and Lena joke about you know Lena. I told you on our wedding day I loved you. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> <clears throat> right? I mean, that's kind of the world that we lived in. It wasn't a huggy place like Colorado and yet we, we started doing that in our last couple of weeks and so when we'd have that meeting to look that person in the eye and say here's what you've meant to us and here's um, how you've been a blessing to us and here's what we see God doing in your life and here's what we're thankful for and to allow God to speak encouragement and blessing through us and I would encourage you to take the risk and maybe get out of your comfort zone and look some people in the eye this week and say, here's what I see God doing in your life and here's how I want to encourage you and here's the blessing of God that, that I'll just in a simple way allow him to speak through me into your life.